0: today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. Take your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. Everything on the screens will be in your handheld device. For those of you who stayed home and are watching us at home today because of the rain we've had all morning in Kansas City, thanks for joining us through our live stream. We're in week 7 of a series that we're calling Letters from Jesus. We've been studying the book of Revelation for seven weeks, studying through seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches to learn how we can see Jesus better. To learn what we can discover about our own hearts spiritually and to learn how we can be blessed We find ourselves in the mediterranean basin We've already walked through five churches the church at ephesus the church of smyrna the church of pergamum thyatira sardis today We're going to be in the church of philadelphia We'll end up next week at the church of laodicea Remember john wrote this revelation from jesus that he received on the island of patmos all month long for two months Now we've been learning about jesus and today we're going to learn about a Jesus who can be trusted. So let me ask you just at the top of this message, how is your trust right now spiritually? Today we're going to learn about how we can be faithful spiritually. So let me ask you right at the top, how has your week been spiritually? Today we're going to learn about what it looks like to be at rest spiritually because of how close we're living to Jesus. So let me ask you, how much at rest are you spiritually because you've been living for Jesus? Those are the areas we're going to talk about in Revelation chapter 3. If you'll have a spirit to receive what Jesus is teaching... If you'll be willing to lean a little bit into Jesus so you can get closer to him, I believe God can plant some seeds in your heart that might really have a chance to radically transform your life. So as we head into Revelation 3, would you just bow your heads quickly? Would you close your eyes? At our church, we believe the Bible is the word of God. It's written to his people. So as we get ready to read the Bible today, this is God speaking to you, not me speaking to you. So would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening? Just ask God to speak to your heart, to show you what you need to see, to let you hear what you need to hear. I really hope you hear God's message for you today, not mine. God, speak to our hearts. We are listening from your words. Speak to us. We will try our very best to hear and follow what you say. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Revelation 3, 7 begins this way. To the angel, you might circle that word angel. Remember that probably means minister or the pastor. To the pastor of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is what Jesus said to the church in Philadelphia. Now, in 1976... A little boxer with a little strength named Rocky Balboa came out of the city of Philadelphia and he shocked the whole world by the time we got to Rocky II by defeating the champ Apollo Creed. This is not about that city, Philadelphia. This is about the ancient Philadelphia, a a city in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago that also had something little that made a big impact. We read about a little church with just a little bit of strength in this ancient city of Philadelphia that had a huge impact For Jesus. Let me tell you a little bit about this 2,000 year old city. Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities of Revelation. We know it wasn't built until after 189 BC, which meant in the time of Jesus it was barely 200 years old. This was not an ancient city in the time of the New Testament. The city was named after King Attalus II, he was the king of Pergamum. His nickname was Philadelphus. Because of his love for his brother, Eumenes, who he took over for, the former king of Pergamum, it was built as a missionary outpost. The purpose of the city was to spread Greek culture and language all over the Lydian kingdom. And it succeeded so well that within 200 years, the language of the Lydian kingdom was extinct. And it had been totally replaced by a new language. And Philadelphia, as a city, was built on the ridge of a volcanic plateau, This is going to be important for later. And it suffered so many devastating earthquakes and aftershocks that many inhabitants of the city moved into tents outside the city and only returned to open air marketplaces every day to work. They created kind of the first suburbs because nobody would spend the night in the downtown area because they were afraid the building they were in would fall down on them. And no one would even go to work in a building with a roof because they were afraid it would fall down on them. That information will be useful to us as we go through this message in a minute. But you're not here to learn. About Philadelphia. You're here to learn about Jesus, what's revealed about Jesus. We're not here to learn about Philadelphia. We're here to learn what's uncovered in our hearts spiritually. We're not here to learn about a 2,000 year old city. We're here to learn about how we can be blessed moving forward in our life 2,000 years later. So let's look at these three areas. Let's look at three key questions from these areas and see if God doesn't speak to our hearts this morning. Number one, what's revealed about Jesus? As we move through Revelation chapter 3, this letter to the church in Philadelphia, what do we learn about Jesus? Look at verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. If you have your pen, I want you to go to these words. These are the words of him who is, underline, who is holy and true, every one of the letters has a different description for Jesus. Here we learn that Jesus is the one who is holy. Go back if you would for a minute, guys. Who is holy and who is true? This phrase "holy and true" is a phrase used six times in the Book of Revelation to describe Jesus. Here in Revelation three seven, we also find in Revelation six ten, Revelation fifteen three, Revelation sixteen seven, Revelation nineteen two, Revelation nineteen eleven. He who is holy and true. Say, what's it mean? It actually means two things that mean one big thing It means two things that mean one really big thing. What does it mean that jesus is holy and true? Well, the word holy means perfect in character Later in the book of revelation this same greek word will be used as faithful It will be used as just it will be used to describe someone who is perfect in their character we learn that jesus In his life towards us, in his motive towards us, Jesus is always perfect. You can trust the heart of Jesus. Here's what it means. It means if you have something going on in your life right now and you can't see the end result of it, you can trust in the middle of it. You can trust Jesus' heart for you. Because his character is perfect. He is one who is holy. He is also one who is true. This is more of an active word than a belief. True means that Jesus is genuine or he's authentic or he's real in his actions. True means that whatever Jesus has for your life, every spiritual outcome of your life is going to be perfect. That's what it means. It means we can trust Jesus' hands. If Jesus is thinking about you, you can trust his heart because he is holy. If Jesus is working in your life... You can trust his hands because Jesus is true. You can trust his heart. You can trust his hands. These two things mean one thing. Jesus is revealed to the church in Philadelphia as one who can be completely trusted. If he's thinking about you, you can trust his heart. If he's working in your life, you can trust his hands. Jesus is revealed to the church at Philadelphia as one who can be completely trusted. So let me ask you, do you completely trust Jesus? In every area of your life Because today's first key question That really will become this week's first key question Maybe it's going to become this quarter Fourth quarter of the year The key question that you have to wrestle through in your faith What area in your life Does Jesus want you to trust him more What area in your life That on this day in history October 7, 2018 What area in your life is Jesus Wanting you to trust him more And don't be big Be specific you say, what do you mean? What's the difference between big and specific? Well, I hear a lot of people say, well, "I I think Jesus wants me to trust Him with my kids. That doesn't mean anything. Trust Him what with your kids? I think He wants me to trust that they'll get into college. Okay, that's specific. I think He wants me to trust that they're gonna be okay in this relationship. Okay, that's specific. I think He wants me to trust that they're gonna be good parents. Okay, I think that's specific. I think He wants me to trust they're gonna get a job when they get out of college. Okay, that's specific. See the difference between big and specific? You say, I think Jesus wants me to trust Him with my health. Not specific enough. How does Jesus want you to trust him with your health? I was talking last Sunday after church to one of the men who counts our offering. And the last year he's had two cancer surgeries with radiation in the middle because the first surgery and radiation didn't get it all. The second one they believed did. And I said, how are you feeling? He said, physically, I'm feeling fine. Said, how are you feeling emotionally? And he said, everything in my body that hurts, I think is cancer, not good. So to say, well, I, I wanna trust Jesus with my health is different than saying, I need to trust that every hurt in my body it's not cancer. So I need to trust Jesus with my finances. How? How? I need to trust that Jesus wants me to get out of debt and stay out of debt. So I need to downsize. Okay, that's specific. I think Jesus wants me to trust him in giving. So I need to be generous. Okay, that, that's specific. See the difference between big and little? So let me ask you, fourth quarter this year, what does Jesus want you to trust him more with? Say, so how do I know? Because you're worried about it all the time. Because you're always burdened about it. You're always thinking about it. That's probably the thing. Jesus wants you to trust him more with Jesus is revealed to the church at Philadelphia as one who can be completely trusted. I've learned this spiritual truth over the last twenty years when it comes to spiritual trust. You'll never really trust what you don't try to the point of spiritual breakthrough. When we think about things in life where we feel like God's calling us to trust, we really don't trust what we don't try to the point of spiritual breakthrough. We often quit. When you say, God, help me trust you in this, God will say, okay, here's what trust looks like. And we do it for a time or two, but when things get tough, instead of pressing in, we usually run away. And we never really see God... Do a breakthrough in our life spiritually simply because we're not patient enough we learned from dr. Tara last week that sometimes jesus delays are very intentional They're very deliberate and god works more in the delay than he does in the outcome of what we're wanting So do you trust god enough to try what he wants you to do to the point of spiritual breakthrough? I've got kind of a little mini message in this message on how you can begin to trust if you've got an area in your life where Jesus is saying, you need to trust me more here. How do we get complete trust? Let's run through these five things real quick. This is kind of a side note to this message. How do we get complete trust? Well, number one, you have to see where Jesus is asking you to trust him. And again, you say, how do I know where that area is? What are you always worried about? What are you always anxious about? What are you always burdened about? What do you always find yourself talking to people about? That's the area that Jesus wants to press in on your trust. See where Jesus is asking you to trust him. Number two, once you see that, begin to pray. For trust in that area every day for 40 days, go to a calendar, take October 7th, count 40 days starting tomorrow morning. And every day for the next 40 days, get up and say, God, very specifically, God, I need you to help me to trust you with my job. God, I need you to help me to trust you with this employee. God, I need you to help me trust you with this new manager that's been put in place. God, I need you to help me trust you with my kids and the ACT that's coming up or the school they're going to get into. God, I need you to help me to trust you with my year end raise or not raise and however that's going to be as specific as you can every day for 40 days. And as you're doing that, number three, locate and memorize key scripture about that area. Find out what God has to say about that area. What are his promises in that area? This is where I lose a lot of people because they say they I don't know how to do that. I would love to do that, but I don't, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. This week on the Activate podcast, we take 60 seconds to try to teach you how to do that. One way, biblically, Another way for those of you who are under the age of 30. Here's what we do. I take a topical Bible. I take a really good study Bible. In the back of a study Bible, you say, what's the difference between a study Bible and a regular Bible? The study Bible's thick. But in the most, of, most of study Bibles will have an index in the back with words. And I, I, this week on the podcast with Pastor Brandon, I said, let's look up trust. People who say, what are some Bible verses on trust? I said, I'm going to use my study Bible. You Google Bible verses on trust. And let's see what we come up with. In 30 seconds, I found it in the back of my Bible. He Googled it and we had hundreds of Bible verses on trust within 30 seconds that you can begin to pick and choose and to memorize and to learn. More than that, number four, I want to challenge you to post and recite key biblical truths about those areas daily. Post them where you can see them. Put one on a three by five index card. Hang it on your mirror, so every day while you're brushing your teeth, you're reading it and reminding yourself about it. Put one on a post-it note. Put it by your alarm clock, so every morning when you wake up and every night when you go to bed, you see it. Take another one and put it in your car, so as you're driving to work, you see it. Put another one on the lid of your laptop, so every time you open your laptop, you see it. Put another one on your computer at work or on your desk at work. Place them wherever you need to see them to constantly be reminded of God's truth in an area When my little girl Casey, who's sitting in the second row was was growing up a few years ago she struggled to go sleep to sleep every night she was just worried she struggled mentally to go to sleep so we looked up a bunch of verses on what the bible has to say about sleep and god being with you while you're sleeping we printed those off on eight and a half by 11 pieces of paper we laminated them and we hung them all over her room so while she laid in bed wondering if she could go to sleep she could just read god's promises about sleep to the point where casey are they hanging there anymore Eventually she got to the point where she didn't need them anymore because they were in here not on the wall That's what it looks like to begin to trust and then number five. Here's the hard part You have to begin to practice exactly what the bible prescribes for that area You see every area that you need to trust god's going to ask you to walk in faith in So god's going to say if you want to trust you have to do this And a lot of times we like to trust we like to pray, but we don't like to try We just want the outcome You say, I believe God is asking me to trust him to forgive somebody. That's great. That means you have to start praying for them and you have to figure out how to bless them. Whoa, 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 I don't wanna do that. But that's God's prescription. That when you forgive someone, you begin to pray for those who are cursing you. You pray for your enemies and you bless those who are cursing you. Try it until you have a spiritual breakthrough and watch what God does in your heart. You say, I feel like God's speaking to my heart that we need to trust him and slow down as a family. Okay, then you better cancel something in your calendar. Or learn how to say no to something that's upcoming. Say, well, that would throw off the whole balance of our life. Try what God is telling you to do. In Psalm 46.10, he says, be still. Slow down. Just let me be God. Try it to the point of a spiritual breakthrough, and you'll learn you can trust him. He said, I think God wants me to trust him in my marriage, but scripture says in Song of Solomon that a healthy married couple are passionate lovers and best friends, which means if I want to have a healthy spiritual marriage, we got to start going out on dates, we got to do fun things that friends would do, and we have to plan for moments of intimacy, and say, oh, I don't know that I want to do that. If you want to trust God with your marriage, try it to the point of a spiritual breakthrough. I believe god wants me to trust him in downsizing our lifestyle that we can still be satisfied then call a realtor Go go turn your car in for a used car that you can afford You say I believe god wants me to trust him in my generosity Then you have to give something to someone in some area. See you have to try And when you begin to try you develop trust and what you're going to learn is life with jesus is a learned trust Life with Jesus is a learned trust. And if you will try to be faithful in the areas he's asking you to be faithful in, what, what's going to happen is you are going to learn trust on the back end of the try. As you live by trusting Jesus, you'll experience you can trust Jesus. And then you'll tell everyone they should trust Jesus. That's who Jesus is revealed to in the church at Philadelphia. One we can trust enough to try to walk in faith exactly. Like he asks us to what's uncovered in our hearts number two That's what's revealed about jesus. What's uncovered in our hearts number two. Look at verse eight Jesus says I know your deeds See I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut I know that you have little strength now stop right there if you have a pen you can underline those words little strength Because when I read that I thought You know, that's kind of rude god. I mean like you didn't have to call them out like in front of everyone It's like hey, I know you you're not real strong. Like, I mean, like he put that in the Bible for everyone to read. We read that and we think that's kind of rude that Jesus would say, hey, I know you, you're not very strong, but the term little strength is actually a great compliment here and not a criticism. Because Jesus is saying in comparison to where you live and what the goals of that city are to spread Greek culture and language, I know you're just a little church, but man, you're having great impact. As a matter of fact, you're just a little church, but there's this door opened in your ministry that no one can shut. You're a little church, but you have really good impact. It reminds me maybe of our church in Kansas City. I don't know if you know this. There's roughly 2 million people in metropolitan Kansas City. And 80% of our city does not go to church anywhere on Sunday morning. Which means today, 1.6 million people in Kansas City are not in church. 400,000 of them are. Except the ones who have Chiefs season tickets and then they don't go to church when they have Chiefs games. So maybe a little less than 400,000 on a day like today and some people don't come when it rains, no offense. So maybe even a little less than that because of the Chiefs and the rain combined. But you look at that and you say, wow, compared to the size of our city, the church doesn't have a whole lot of strength to impact our city. Let's go a step further. Journey today and all of our services, including those who are watching online, will minister to about 2,000 people. That's one-tenth of 1% of our city. Let me put it another way. 99.9% of the people who live in Kansas City will not be impacted by our church today. Let me say it again. 99.9% of the people who live in our city will not be impacted by our church today. Does that mean we should quit? What's interesting is I talk to people who have been at our church since the beginning when we had 50 people, 100 people, 150 people. I hear people every now and then say, man, I feel like our church is getting too big. And I always want to say, for who? For the 0.1% of our city who actually comes? Or for the 99.9% who have not been impacted by us yet? Like too big for who? Because I read about a Jesus who when he had 99%, he left them to go after the one. I think that's the guy we're following I think I think that's the way we're doing it So will it get uncomfortable? Yeah Will we have chairs that are smaller than your butt sometimes? Yeah, I mean we do I mean we just do when we shrink them down a little bit Rows that aren't big enough to get down. Yeah, sometimes But the reality is 99.9% of our city is not impacted by our church every sunday You say is that discouraging? No, it's encouraging Like that's a target too big to miss Right, It's like all you have to do is look around. 99.9% of the people you see on a weekly basis haven't been impacted by our church yet. You say, where do I start? Anywhere. Anywhere. Anywhere with anyone. You say, but we have such little strength. That's what God said to the church in Philadelphia. But he said, you're having big impact. I know that you just got a little strength, but you're having big impact. You say, how does little strength make big impact? Let me give you one word How does little strength make big impact? Let me give you a one-word answer. Number one, be faithful. Be faithful. If you are faithful, your little strength, our little strength together can have a big impact. Look at the last part of verse eight. Here's what faithful looks like. Jesus says, you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. Here's what faithful looks like. You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. My two teenagers had homecoming this week which meant at their school they had a different kind of theme day, dress-up day every day. And on, on Monday night, Casey came into my room when I was laying in bed. And, um, she said, Dad, I have to ask you a question. I said, What's that? And she said, Tomorrow's throwback day. So I have to wear something really old. And I'm like, All right. So, and she said, So can I wear your letter jacket that's like hanging in the basement? And I was like, well, That's not really old. I mean, That's like, oh, that's like all only time and she's like, It's old enough. And I was like, Okay. Some of the girls are wearing their dad's letter jackets. I'm like, All right. Something really old. You, you can wear my really old letter jacket. It's only 22 years old. So she wore my letter jacket to school. I dropped her off Tuesday morning and I watched her walk into school in my letter jacket. And I thought of high school. Where I went to high school, um, the culture of my high school is that if you were dating someone and you were a guy with a letter jacket, your girlfriend would wear your letter jacket. Um, sometimes she would also wear your class ring. She'd wrap like yarn around the bottom of it so it would fit her. And that let everyone know those two are together. You say, what does it look like to keep Jesus' name? It means everyone knows you're together. It means when they see you walking down the street, they think, oh, she's with with Jesus. Oh, he's with with Jesus. It means to be faithful means to let everyone know they're with with him. Regardless of what that means for the next few steps of your life, it means on a daily basis to let everyone know they're with Jesus so i ask you the second key question to think about this week. In what ways can people see Jesus in your everyday life? In what ways did they see Jesus in your life last week? And what ways will they see Jesus in your life this week? Is there somebody you can serve and go help and love better this week? Is there somebody you can encourage this week like Jesus would? Listen, is there someone you can notice who nobody notices but Jesus? And on his behalf, notice them and speak to them this week. Can you become a person who begins to see and state positives about negative situations? Even though everything's bad, can you state a positive about a negative situation? Can you be someone who in the latest uproar of our country, and who knows what the one next week will be, who always chooses peace over conflict, who chooses relationships with people over brash political statements? And so I'm going to love who's in front of me instead of dividing over who's in Washington. Can, can we try to be Jesus? Can we choose loving humility rather than boastful statements or posts on social media? Like, can, we, can we try to be Jesus to people? Because if we will have that little strength, I, th- I think we can make a big impact. And not only will we make an impact, but we'll be, number two here, validated. There are not very many verses like verse 9 in Scripture of Revelation chapter 3. This should make every christian feel good about loving jesus not a lot of verses like this one But this is one to hang on to jesus says you're going to be validated verse 9 I will make those who are of the synagogue of satan who claim to be jews though. They're not but are liars I'm going to make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you the jews in philadelphia Were saying that the christians who had jesus at the center of their life were crazy The Jews in Philadelphia were looking at the church and they were saying anyone who would let their life revolve around Jesus is crazy. Jesus said those very same people, one day at the end of your life, maybe at the eternity, are gonna come back and admit you were right and they were wrong. You're gonna be validated in your faith. In 1843, a Renaissance era mathematician and astronomer named Nicholas Copernicus flipped the church world and the science world on its head by writing and publishing an article called De Revolutionibus Orbius Celestium in the Latin, which translates revolutions of celestial spheres, basically the article said this, the universe revolves around the sun. Up until that time, it was the official statement of the scientific community and the church that the universe revolved around the earth. That God had created the heavens and the earth and everything Revolved around the earth the sun revolved around the earth and the planets revolved around everything revolved around the earth and he said no That's not he studied the universe and he said no every actually everything revolves around the sun He was excommunicated from the church for his heresy because everything revolved around the earth He was blackballed by the scientific community a lot of them um, people who followed him were eventually kicked out of their scientific institutions. He died the year he published this. They think just from the stress of anxiety of going public with it. But eventually they went up in space. And you know what they found? He was right. He was right. The world actually revolved around the sun. Our solar system revolves around the sun. The sun does not revolve around the earth. And there are some Christians whose lives revolve around The Son of God, His name is Jesus. And you're ridiculed for it, and you're questioned about it, and it makes your life inconvenient, and it makes your schedule inconvenient. And Jesus says, Someday there's going to come a day at a time where people come to you and they say, You always had your life revolve around Jesus first. You and your family always had Jesus in the center of everything. You were right. You were right. We were wrong. Revelation 3 9 that's a verse to book because if you have a little strength You can have big impact by being faithful And if you have a little strength That's going to be validated one day by people who who today think you're crazy But who that day will think you had it figured out when no one else did that's one of the blessings we can receive But what are the others in verse 12? What's the blessing we can receive? We see what's revealed about Jesus. We see what's uncovered in our hearts. What's the blessing we can receive? I think my favorite blessing to receive of this entire series is in this verse. Let's look at verse 12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new Name what's the blessing that we receive? Jesus says you will be a pillar In the temple of god and you will never have to leave it again Why is that important for the people in philadelphia? They wouldn't stay in any place that was held up by a pillar Because they all fell down any place held up by a pillar was something unsafe, was something unstable, was something not secure. They created the first suburbia areas by living in tents and driving into the city. Jesus said, It will be different for those who follow me. He said, Because I offer spiritual stability and spiritual security to those who follow me. You won't have to go to bed every night wondering if the world is going to come crashing down. I got gotcha. you. You won't have to go to work every day wondering if the world's going to come crashing down. I got you. You won't have to watch your daughter get her license when she turns 16 and drive out the driveway for the first time and think the world is going to fall. I got you. And more than that, you'll be stability for everyone else. You won't just live in the temple that's not going to fall. You'll be one of the things holding it up. So eventually everyone else will know, I got them too because you will be a pillar in that temple. And here's the name of your spiritual stability and security. I don't know if you saw it, Jesus named it. He said, you're going to be a pillar. You're going to have spiritual stability and security. And he said, I'm actually going to write something on you. Here's what I'm going to name your spiritual stability and security, Jerusalem. I'm going to name it Jerusalem, which is weird because probably the least stable, least secure city In the entire world is Jerusalem But God said not as a city But as a word This this will be The thing that allows everyone to see You're stable and secure Now the city of Jerusalem Is one of my favorite cities in the entire world Our church has taken more than 100 people to Israel The last 7 years Over 7 trips We'll go for the 8th time in November of next year If you're interested in going to Israel Going to Jerusalem with us We'd love for you to go inside your bulletin this little card if you say I, i'd love to go to israel one day Just give us your information. We'll reach out to you this november 18th, We'll have a meeting and talk about our israel trip We'd love for you to go if you're following along on your app at the bottom of your notes There's a little form where you can just sign up electronically. I would love for you to go to the city of jerusalem with me But this is not talking about the city of jerusalem. It's talking about the word jerusalem Because Jerusalem is made up of two Hebrew words. God says, people are going to see you with this word written on you, Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Two Hebrew words, the first yeru, which means the foundations. The second, shalom. And you all know that means peace. God said, people are going to look at you and it's not that they're going to see a word on you. Here's what they're going to see. People are going to look at you And they're going to see what it looks like to live at peace. People are going to look at people who trust Jesus. People are going to look at people who have learned to pray and memorize God's promises and try them to the point of spiritual breakthrough. People are going to look at people who are faithful. And here's what they'll look like. Yerushalom. They will look like the foundations of peace. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but Christians should be seen as the ones who are at peace in society. I'll be really honest with you. Our church shouldn't really even have to go after the 99.9% of the people in our community who haven't been impacted by Jesus. Here's what we should do. Learn how to live at peace with Jesus and they'll come to us because they're all looking for it. Our whole world is looking for spiritual peace, emotional peace, marital peace, parenting peace, financial peace. Thank you, Dave Ramsey, right? I mean, the whole world is looking for peace. If we can become Yerushalom, If we can become people who are the foundations of peace, they will find us. Now, do we still go? Of course we do. But more will find us than we will find if we will simply live at peace. So let me ask you today's third question. Do people see you as the one who's always at peace? Mom, are you the ones? The kids call when everything's falling apart because they know you're going to help them put it together. Dad, are you the ones? Do people come to when everything's at peace because they know you're going to put it together? Is your office the one they walk into when everything seems to be falling apart because they know five minutes with you will make everything better? Some of you, that's your story. Jesus says, for every Christian, that should be their story. We are Yerushalom. The world should see us as Yerushalom. Those who have the foundation of peace. And a lot of people say, I can't wait to get to heaven so that I can have that. That's not the way it's supposed to work Because we read here that the new jerusalem is not some place we go to It's some place that comes to us It's coming down. It didn't say we're going up. It's coming down The foundations of spiritual peace aren't laid when we get to heaven They're laid when heaven gets to us You say when does that happen? The moment your eternal life with jesus begins You get to begin to experience a little bit of heaven You know, it's interesting how much a life can change through a change in perspective and here's what I want to ask you to maybe Challenge you to think differently as we close our service this morning. I want you to complete this statement when I get to heaven I know i'll be different because what Just complete that in your head and your heart when I get to heaven, I know that I'm going to be different. Because what? What if we kept the answer the same, but we changed a statement? Say, so what do you mean? When I get to heaven, I know I'll be different because what? What if we kept the what the same, but said this? When heaven gets to me, I know I'll be different because, and the same thing is true. See, Jesus, when he taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, didn't teach us to pray, one day when we get to heaven, change everything. He said, pray that God's kingdom would come, anybody? On earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Here Jesus says, heaven comes down. And when heaven meets you, Not when you get to heaven, but when heaven meets you in the person of Jesus, when you learn to trust him in specific things, not big things, not not blanket statements, but real trust. When you learn to trust him, when you learn to be faithful, and not only is your life going to be validated, but you you will be Yerushalom. You will be the foundations of peace in your family, your company, in your neighborhood, in the school district, In your city and the 99.9% of people not impacted by your faith yet, they will be. The 8 out of 10 who aren't in church anywhere in our city today, they will be impacted by your peace. Because when heaven gets to you, you're different because we know we're all going to be different in heaven. The question is, when are you going to meet heaven? You can wait until you die? Or do you want to be born again into it right now? For those of you who are Christians, you've met heaven Tell your life that so that what happens in heaven will begin happening now. Because if that will happen, people will see Jesus. And folks, our city needs Jesus. Would you pray with me as we think about some of the things we've learned today?